You must have met lots of founders. Um, you know, what do you think makes a successful founder? A lot of patience, uh, a lot of flexibility, and um, almost a sense of madness in their eyes. Uh, these three qualities, um, I think patience comes with being able to take a few bruises. Equate myself with the founder. I want to ensure that I can have uh, a cold beer with my founder and a heated argument at the same time, okay. but not their company. Hello everyone, Neil Patel here. Thank you for downloading the latest episode of the Indian Startup Show. Today I speak to Sanil Sacha. He's the co-founder of Huddle. It's a startup incubator based in Delhi. Not only that, he is a entrepreneur, national best-selling author, angel investor, columnist, co-owner of a global sports brand, True Socks, motivational speaker and leadership coach. It's a great episode, so I've decided to split this into two parts. In this episode, we talk about the startup incubator he co-founded, what inspired him to do this, um, what they look for when investing, uh, raising funds in India, exits, um, advice for first-time investors. Um, he talks about what startups you should be investing in and the likes and dislikes of the Indian startup life and much, much more. So please enjoy the show. Thank you. Hi, Sanil. Thanks for coming on the Indian startup show today. Thank you for having me, Neil. What inspired you to do this? So, Neil, you know, as any inspiration, it, it really came from a personal need. Um, both Ishan and I have been uh, entrepreneurs, uh, having been on the other side building uh, ventures ourselves. Uh, countless uh, and countless of them that didn't work and some of them that fortunately have worked. What we realized is, you know, having been a part of a growing venture like uh, True Socks and having tried to build some ventures back in, here in India as well, that there's a missing gap when uh, a startup wants to become an organization, when it wants to create a structure and pivot towards growth. And uh, essentially, it was it was just a motivation to create a better framework for uh, startups across uh, India um, that led to uh, Huddle being uh, formulated. And how long have you been doing this and uh, how are things going? Uh, things have been great. I think I want to answer that first because, you know, Huddle is one of the primary reasons why we're learning each and every uh, day with each and every meeting that we have. Uh, we've been uh, in uh, in this business for over two years now. Uh, as Huddle as an entity. But prior to that, uh, our involvement in the startup ecosystem as um, investors or, and mentoring startups has been for over five years now. Around four to five years is when we first started investing in startups, uh, incubating them, uh, while simultaneously realizing that we need to create a structure for it. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, things have been great because we've been uh, and the definition for great for us is when we see our uh, mature startups actually working with the younger ones and uh, hand-holding them rather than us just being able to work with uh, one gambit of startups. And what's the application process like? You know, for example, if I wanted to apply, you know, how, many, how, many, how, many, how many hoops do I have to go through? Uh, I think uh, it's fairly straightforward. Um, uh, at least we'd like to believe so. We've got an uh, open application um, on huddle.work. Uh, the reason it's open is because, you know, we realize that new ideas are being uh, concocted with the change of, you know, the hour. And uh, we, we just uh, ensure that when a startup applies on huddle.work, uh, that someone from our team gets in touch with them at least uh, within 72 hours to get to know a little more about uh, the founding team and what they're building. Uh, simultaneously, most of our, you know, our stronger um, uh, portfolios really come from when we reach out to companies. So I would like to believe that uh, any incubator actually has to be a really good research team uh, in order mm -hmm. to uh, figure out what kind of sectors that we typically want to 
solve for, subsectors we want to be creating solutions for, and then reaching out to the founders out there that we're inspired to work with. So it's a pull and push to build. To... Yeah, you, you mentioned the founding team. Uh, does that mean you're, you don't hire, you don't go for single founders? Uh, no, not at all. I think uh, yeah. we're open to, you know, single founding team. Uh, we worked with them. We worked with a, a team that has over six founders, uh, over five founders, sorry. Um, mm. But I think the founding team is just someone that uh, puts, the, puts the, you know, wheels on the car. And what about uh, founders who are non-technical then? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, we, I, I myself, I'm not exactly the most technically uh, sound uh, founder for um, some of the ventures that we're incubating. So we work mm. with the, this, you know, the strengths of any startup and, and compensate by uh, actually, like as I was mentioning, having someone from Huddle join them and work mm. with them as a mentor. So if someone is not technically uh, sound, that does not mean they can't build their vision. We can actually help them by helping them hire someone or bringing an advisor on board that'll help them build for their weaknesses. And how, how much do you invest and how much equity do you take? Um, it completely varies, uh, Neil, because, um, you know, as uh, we don't want to put a cookie cutter model uh, in place. Uh, what we realized is the second we put a number to it, we're in essentially making every startup seem good or bad in the same light. Um, and uh, having said that, our investments is always uh, up to 20% of the company's next round of investment. We work on an advisory equity and then invest in them as well. But that we like to put up, uh, you know, when we're investing alongside the funds we'll work to build the company for. So suppose the most important question then, you know, what are you actually looking for then? Uh, so I think, you know, while I would, you know, be able to wrap entire dissertation on that, I think uh, what we essentially are looking for in startups is someone that's building uh, a solution that is irreplaceable. I know that sounds uh, almost like a wish list, but what the kind of uh, ventures that we're working with are building the next in line technologies, you know, retrofitting in buses, retrofitting in auto uh, autos and three wheelers or blockchain technology and social media. So anything that is going to have a pivotal shift in how uh, humans interact and humans essentially live their life, we like working with companies that are doing that. And that does not only mean they're technical, even you know someone creating the next in line healthiest food uh, brands are those that are in our portfolio because that's just how humans are going to live their lives going forward. And those mm -hmm. that's where we want our huddle to be. Mm -hmm. Can you give examples of companies that have been incubated? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that's actually a, might be my favorite part. Um, we've, you know, so speaking of superfoods, for instance, we've been working with a, a venture called Ketofi. They're mm -hmm. essentially building uh, they're one of the largest keto brands now in India, um, doing a phenomenal uh, job in helping type 1, type 2 diabetics uh, by giving them keto-based uh, diets. Whereas, uh, uh, you know, as keto is also famously known for helping us stay fitter if we're not diabetic. Uh, that's one brand. Um, at the same time, uh, as I was mentioning, uh, the electric vehicle ecosystem uh, through retrofitting, that's an area we have got a deep interest in. We're working mm -hmm. with ventures in retrofitting buses and uh, LCVs, HCVs, at the same time also working with another venture of ours, which is Race Energy in retrofitting auto three-wheelers. And as, um, uh, you know, as, as India is known for, we've got 12 million auto three-wheelers. So our aim is, you know, even if we can start that e-revolution as 10% of that market in the next few years, you know, we've made some change. Uh, yeah, so that's just, you know, two to three uh, of our 21 portfolios that we have been fortunate to work with. So you take an existing three-wheeler and electrify them, is that right? These these three-wheelers, you know, someone needs to help because by the end of it, we look at it as a three-wheeler, but we have to realize the person riding it is someone that lives hand-to-mouth, living on daily wage. Mm. So we can't expect them to buy uh, vehicles that are 
expensive for even someone earning uh, a good amount of capital. So we're trying to retrofit them. We're doing it successfully in two hours and then getting them on the road by supporting with battery swapping infrastructure. Yeah, just just, just two other companies uh, that are very interesting. Trillbit, which yes. sends data over sound technology. What, what's that all about? Um, okay, so I'll give, a, I'll give a parallel to what Trillbit does. Um, mm. Right now we're... Uh, all well versed with how Bluetooth works or Wi-Fi works as transmitting to help us transmit information from one person to another. Mm. What data over sound essentially stands for is utilizing sound wave technology, uh, uh, you know, so- sound waves that you and I as humans can't hear to yeah. be able to transmit information, uh, which could, and, and the term information I'll elaborate on, could be something like processing payments. We're not in the payment space, but transmitting information that could be marketing oriented uh, by realizing that you might be in a region where you're being able to get information that is necessary to you. So a use case that this could get utilized in is emergency situations where there is no Wi-Fi, there is no Bluetooth access, but you need to be given an alert. Uh, Sound waves help you do that if you've incorporated the technology in mere beacons uh, around you. So that is one venture that we have had, you know, a lot of fun building several use cases that are entertainment focused and also real-time security-based focus. They're, they're doing really well. Um, according to the press release uh, in the US, <laughs> the venture is raising an undisclosed growth round as part of the expansion to the US market. Absolutely, yeah. That's a company that has uh, also been um, further backed by Techstars. And yeah. it's always good to, you know, essentially keep building our portfolio alongside other credible accelerators and uh, funds that we too uh, like working with and Trillbit happens to be one that's backed by Techstars. Another another company that's interested is OneRamp, a social media on blockchain. What's that about? Okay, so in fact, uh, you know, as we speak of OneRamp, I, you know, while I talk to you in the incubator right now, they're they're one of our companies that actually sits alongside us um, Mm. and uh, they're building the next in line social media. I mean, I would call it how we interact on different platforms like Facebook mm-hmm. or Instagram. We're just trying to utilize gratification in a more tangible form. So to give you a case in point, if tomorrow um, you know, we post, I post a picture and you like it, that creates a lot of traction, but that's intangible through a like. Essentially, the platform's what's making money uh, by getting advertisers to realize that they can advertise to Neil and Sunil. But going mm-hmm. forward, we want to decentralize this network by giving who creates the traffic as much remuneration as much as the person who is creating further traffic by liking the content. And what OneRamp does is it uses, utilizes the power of blockchain to acknowledge each and every provider, each and every gatherer of information by helping them uh, earn through cryptocurrency that we can then mm-hmm. convert into fiat currency. And we're trying to open this uh, as an open source. Uh, the company is working really hard on it. Uh, some good news will be following up and upon about their work in the coming month as well of how they're yeah, planning sounds, on launching. Sounds, sounds, sounds very exciting, that one. Um, yeah. in, in terms of exits then, obviously probably a bit early, but have you had any exits? We are actually very, very close to a complete uh, successful exit in the next month. Uh, should be, again, be uh, able to disclose their name. Uh, I could give a tentative of how it is going to be roughly uh, a 10, uh, 9 to 10x for the company. Uh, to, until then, we've got partial exits in ventures. Uh, our intent is to actually work with our companies for at least five years, um, three to five years. Um, so while we do view ourselves as an incubator, we also like to believe that we can accelerate them. So we're not in any rush to completely exit. In terms of raising funds for the company then, um, according to this PR statement, the investment is ranged at $300,000 so far. That's really good. Uh, yes. we. Um, so when we speak of, you know, 
I think our constant efforts go into raising uh, funds and investing in our portfolio. But the investments that we have previously raised were with the intent of actually getting another partner on board. Um, we do admire the par- uh, the possibilities of having mature partner, someone who's been in the industry in different realms. Um, that was the intent of bringing uh, Sohail Chandar on board, someone who's he's, he's based out of the Valley. Of course, that's the hub of startups. And mm-hmm. having him on board really, you know, helped us broaden our horizons of a global perspective. Is it difficult raising funds in general then? Uh, how, have you found have you found the process and experience? I think uh, it, it was difficult. Um, it should always be difficult for everyone at one time because the, the real approach of making it easy is uh, it's it's actually quite simple when you realize that you, when you are raising funds or even way before you want to raise funds, I think that's when you need to be talking to your investor. But And the second you start talking to your investor six to eight months before you're planning on even raising the capital, uh, you your investor starts viewing you as a, ten, a tentative target to work with and you start viewing your in, in, investor as a mentor. So when that person is giving you enough knowledge, they eventually give you enough knowledge for to be able to build an investable company. And that's what makes it, you know, clearly an easy process. Actually, yeah. So you're based in Delhi, is that right? Yes, I'm based yeah. in so, uh, Delhi. Yeah. So what, what's the community like? What's the startup community like there compared to like Mumbai or Bangalore? Is it the same or different? Um, it's actually quite, it's quite a small uh, ecosystem when you're a part of it. Um, if I can, com- I would definitely be able to compare Mumbai, Bangalore and Delhi because um, um, while Bangalore, uh, as famously known, is the startup ecosystem hub for India, mm. is primarily because it's you know that's where a lot of the the famous startups were housed. But luckily, with other incubators like ours setting up their um, operations across different geographies, even you know Calcutta might come up in the coming years. Uh, it's coming. It's it's almost replicable. So, but to speak of Delhi, um, I think the kind of ventures that are coming out here are more in sync to what the corporate culture is uh, wanting to adopt as well. There's a huge sense of open innovation that can take place because you've got a lot of the corporates uh, across sectors based here. So when a startup actually wants to access their clients, it's much easier. Uh, the same goes for Bangalore and uh, Mumbai, but I see that uh, pivotal shift more towards Delhi right now. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so um, in terms of the investment then, yeah. um, if someone wants to be an investor like yourself, uh, what, what advice would you give them? Uh, don't be in any rush. <laughs> I think. Uh, I don't think. Um, I think when you're investing in a venture, um, don't view it as. Uh, don't just view it as. It should not look good looking to you. Uh, for for you to have your eye on investing in it as much as how you can add uh, credible time or you know make essentially to be able to control a startup's bleed or burn is more important for you to figure out whether you should invest in it or not. Because while I can invest quantum 10, that will burn out in, let's say, X number of months. But the kind of resources that you bring as the investor should be able to extend their burn by a few more months, if not a few years. I think that's when you know you've made an investment in a venture that at one time you wish you would have done yourself. Interesting stuff. So so how much should they invest then of their net worth? Is it 10%, uh, 5%, 20%? Uh, okay, I think, yeah, that's, you know, for the sake of putting a percentage on it, I would definitely say no more than 10%. Not not in the first first three to four investments to begin with, because I think it takes time for you to realize how patient you are with the capital you deploy. I have uh, witnessed a few investors, um, a few too many investors actually that would invest and expect the returns to be almost like you get it in other industries like real estate back in the day. That's yeah. not how you should view it at all. So, you know, test it out, be below for the sake of it, be 5 to 10%. By the end of it, it's not the quantum you invest to begin with, but 
just the the intent of why you're investing that will help you then build and you know as we know the the best investors in the world then don't even take an account of what the percentage of their investments are as much as how they're you know further increasing their stake in their best startups and and sort of realistically you know how long will it take to get returns then do you think uh okay so um, I can give you two perspectives, actually. I think realistically, you need to be open for no less than uh, five to six years. And I'm putting that as a minimum. As an incubator, we see that actually for faster, the kind of ventures that we've been fortunate to work with, you know, some of them, the exit that we're looking at, it has been just about 14 months of work. And we're looking at a fantastic exit quantum. Having said that, I don't think as a personal uh, investor, you should expect that. It's, it's, it's very opportunistic. So five to six years is what you should look at minimum but again hey if you're working hard with the company you can always reduce that time so, so what type of startup should they be investing in then because obviously you mentioned electric vehicles uh, and blockchain the, 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 hot, the hot, hot startups <laughs> so i think the kind of startups that are going to see uh the light of day going forward you know a lot of a lot of uh talk is happening about how the economy is shaping up and i'm talking specifically in india and i think you know, whether the tides are high or low, I think the kind of startups you should invest in or uh, is not a venture that only sees a good valuation. I think co- companies that are creating a better bank balance are getting a better, stronger cash flows are those that are going to see more uh, investments. That's where we should also put our capital because, uh, and you know, hey, we're seeing without taking names, a lot of companies are trying to figure out their path of profitability because their larger investors are now demanding it. So mm. a startup that you believe has the capability of running as an organization, as a traditional business is where you should put your money because those are the ones that have the most potential of hitting an IPO or even being acquired by a traditional uh, large business before they can hit the IPO. Mm. Do you like emotions play a part of investment then? Or are you like totally cold analytical? <laughs> person absolutely i think the latter uh i try yeah. and uh, absolutely uh, sub- uh, subside all my emotions when i'm investing uh the only um area where i mix my emotions is when i uh equate myself with the founder i want to ensure uh-huh. that i can have uh, a cold beer with my founder and a heated <laughs> argument at the same time okay. but not their company good stuff you must have met lots of founders um you know what do you think makes a successful founder a lot of patience uh a lot of flexibility and um almost a sense of madness in their eyes. Uh, these three qualities, um, I think patience comes with being able to take a few bruises uh, every day if needed. Um, the resilience uh, comes from uh, the madness that you have that, you know, come what may, you're going to figure it out. And the come what may, you'll figure it out can only happen if you're flexible to continuously fail. I think a startup or a founder or any of us in life, when we continue doing the same thing in the same manner, it gets really boring and it's there's, there's a stagnant growth, which in essence is also a decline. So I think flexibility is where we need to understand that, you know, there's a larger wave and you have to crouch a little more to surf better. So ultimately, um, what are you getting out of this? You know, is, are you just, what, you just want the next big unicorn, right? Uh, I wouldn't limit it to one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think, you know, while... While that definitely is, uh, you know, one one goal, it's not the reason we began. It's not the reason we're going to continue. Uh, our entire reason is to be, as I mentioned, you know, I've, I've, I don't, if I have to put perspective, I don't like seeing founders like headless chickens, you know, they're, they've got something going for them, but they're just going nowhere. And I think ecosystems around us, be it Huddle or anyone doing, a, you know, the job Huddle does, but, you know, 10 to 100 times better than us, is, is someone we look up to because they're creating a framework for 
the umpteen amount of entrepreneurs that are brewing in colleges, in corporates, or and at all times. So we just want to create an infrastructure and actually work alongside more and more incubators and funds and, and essentially create this large huddle of all of us where you look left or right, you've always got someone who can help you grow. And that's mm. our aim. So you must know a lot about startup life in India then. Um, what, what's the what's the yes. you know, one thing what, what's the one thing you want people to know about the startup life in India? Um, it's not as uh, it's not as hard as it seems. And the reason I bring that up is because if I look back three years, um, what does a startup need more than capital from a funding perspective? They need clients. A typical client is someone that already has a big wallet to be able to invest in what you're building. And that really does come from being able to work with corporates or mature ventures uh, that have you know, been in your shoes many years back. And I think the reason it's not hard anymore is because even corporates and uh, potential clients have started understanding that a cheaper way of innovation is by working with a startup. And when a startup can actually, before funding, go to a client uh, or come to you know companies like Huddle that have an access of clients they can work with, their their job of becoming a successful startup actually is you know three x more than it was. So it's not as hard as it seems, and uh, it's it's much easier now to get in touch with those that you deem are your mentors because uh, we're seeing a second generation of uh, mature startups uh, that have you know seen their exits, and these people are becoming fortunately mentors or even VCs in themselves, and are willing to give back to the community. So it's much easier to do the job here. What, what is it you don't like about startup life in India then? Anything you want to get off your chest? Oh, where do I begin? No, <laughs> no I think, um, you know, I, I would say uh, people, and, and this might, you know, be more open to a lot of different countries, but yeah, while I'm here, I, I don't like the fact that startups try and follow the wave uh, all the time. I think it's always good to try and create it yourself. If something is, for give you, I'll give you an example. There was a time a lot of people saw something happening in uh, telemedicine and you suddenly you saw everyone running towards a certain model, be it even delivery, everyone side running towards delivery just for the sake of it. So I think uh, uh, any ecosystem that's growing, when you start building something just because you believe investors want it, creates multiple flawed businesses, but creating something that you believe has a business model actually creates the investors to come to you. And I, I prefer the latter, and I think a lot of the former has happened in the past. It is subsiding, but it's bound to happen at all times. Good stuff. Are, are you motivated by money then, ultimately? Uh, no, I am not motivated by uh, capital. I don't think a startup should be motivated by capital to begin with, because if, if that happens, we're, we're just building it for the next person to take it forward. And inevitably, if you're just building to pass it on because you can't, because you believe someone will take it, you're building something that someone will not be able to give to anyone. And that person will be able to identify the fault in your intent. That is the end of part one. Thank you for listening. I should be back with part two. And in part two, he talks about his entrepreneurial life as the co-founder of the True Sox, the global sports band True Sox. Life at Star Sports uh, talks about being a motivational speaker and leadership coach and gives great advice on beating those Monday morning blues. So thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. And if you're building something exciting, please send me an email, hello at neopoltel.co or tweet at Indian Startup SH or go to facebook.com forward slash Indian Startup Show. Love to connect. Thank you and goodbye.